Uh, I love to listen to worship music when, uh, when I'm working in the kitchen, when I'm cooking. Uh, our family tradition is to have a family meal on Friday night, and Shirley uh, does some errands after work, and I get everything ready, and then we have a, a really nice meal. And I love to just listen to worship music while I'm, I'm working in the kitchen. And, and I just was, I was just enjoying it yesterday, and, um, and I, I, I just thought there is, there's something about worship. It's hard to put into words. When we, when, we, when we really just allow ourselves to worship God, it truly is a spiritual experience. It's something that lifts us beyond our cognitive um, you know, perception, and, and we just have this experience. We can have this experience and, uh, of just being with God. And I hope that you, you attain that in worship when you come here on Sunday mornings. I know our teams do an amazing job of, of leading us into that place. And so I was experiencing a little bit of that and appreciating it. So thank you to, uh, to the team for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word says that in you we live, move, and have our being. You are all around us, in front of us, beside us, behind us, above us, beneath us. And yet so often we are not able to perceive you. We think you're far away. We think that we have to reach out to you somehow because you have made yourself distant and nothing could be further from the truth. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us right there. And so as we gather as your people today, we know that you are here. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to sense your presence, to experience the closeness, the nearness of God in that spiritual way. We thank you for making us your people. We know that we are a kingdom of priests and that we are called to work on your behalf in the world all around us, in a world still in darkness and in pain, very much so this week, especially here in the Toronto area. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and that we, by your strength, would be the salt and light in the world that you want us to be. May the world find you through us as you work in us and through us to accomplish your purpose. We ask for your blessing upon our time together as we open your word and we think about parables. And we pray that you would touch our hearts and give us open ears and open eyes so that we might see the secrets of your kingdom that are revealed in the parables of Jesus. And we commit ourselves to you and to this for the next little while in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jeff said when we began, the... Uh, a women's retreat is going on this weekend, and we have uh, about 80 or so women that are away uh, on, the, uh, on the retreat. And so some of us, like Jeff's family, are experiencing what it is to have to fend for ourselves without our, our mothers and our wives. And, and uh, I do remember one time when I was a young, a young guy, I don't remember what age I was, and my mom had gone back to visit her family, and my dad was left to look after us, and I have, I have three siblings and myself. Uh, and we would come home for, for lunch, uh, from school, and I remember coming home, and normally, you know, when you came home, your mom would have a peanut butter sandwich or a bologna sandwich or something like that, 
uh, on a special day, maybe KD or something, to, uh, to really kind of make coming home a treat. So that day I came home for, uh, for lunch, and my dad had made us sardine sandwiches. It was something that he loved when he was in the Navy. Needless to say, it was not something I loved. It was, uh, it was quite a struggle, and of course my dad, being my dad, made us eat them. And uh, so uh, to this day, I will not go near a sardine. And uh, so I have this memory, I have this memory. So for those of you who are out there who have been, you know, this weekend eating out of cans, um, just bear with it a little bit longer, mum will be home soon, and uh, you'll be able to have a, a good, dinner, good dinner tonight. We are wrapping up a series on the parables of the kingdom that Jesus spoke that we find in Matthew chapter 13. And I'll just remind you of why parables are important. Um, remember that it says in Matthew 13 that Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. Uh, now some, some commentators say that Jesus spoke up to 60 parables. Parable was a, a, a way of conveying a truth that was very popular to him and uh, one which he mastered really quite well. He was a unique person in terms of how he used this particular device. But a parable is an interesting way of conveying something because the parable was designed both to reveal and to conceal. And Jesus said that, you know, because the, the people would hear him and the disciples would say, we don't get it, tell us what it means. And then every once in a while we would have him explaining to them something. But the purpose of it was, was as he said, when I, he speaks in parables so that those who are not really meant to understand don't understand, and those that are meant to understand can understand. That's the way a parable is meant to work. Parables are not really something that's supposed to be explained. They're self-evident, and we either get it or we don't. What's the difference? What's the difference? The difference is what's going on in the heart. If our hearts are hardened, and as so many of the listeners of Jesus, their hearts were hardened, they, they did not want to hear what he had to say, and so the parables actually concealed the truth of the kingdom from them. They were often provoked by them. They were often enraged by them. They could tell that he was saying something about them and it wasn't complimentary and that would make them angry. But they didn't understand. They didn't get it. But for those who were open, for those who, were, who had their ears open and they were listening and they were searching and they were looking, the parables conveyed powerful truths about what God was doing in Jesus. And that's the way that the parables worked. Um, so today we're going to look at just the last parable that Matthew gives in this, in this section, and then we're going to talk about how Jesus wraps up this series. So today we're looking at Matthew 13, verses 47 through 49, which is the parable of the net. And it goes like this. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this parable, we have the giving of the parable and then an explanation similar to the parable of the weeds, which came earlier that Carl talked about a few weeks ago. And so here we have uh, a similar. Jesus gives the parable, and then he gives this explanation. But what's going on here? What is he 
meaning to convey in this parable of the net? Well, first of all, the word for net means a drag net. And that's significant because it's the kind of net, it's not a net that you cast out as a fisherman would stand on the shore and cast it out. It's the kind of net that would be attached to a boat and would get dragged along as the boat would go through the water. Very common fishing today in, in, uh, in our world uh, that you know, these big trawlers will, will throw these nets out and they'll just scoop up everything in their wake. And whatever gets caught in the net gets caught in the net. So that's an image that we can understand. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said the kingdom of heaven is like this huge dragnet that, that catches everything in its wake as it moves along. And as in any good fishing, uh, fishing town would tell you, that once the nets are hauled in, they have to sort it. And so they have to go through and they have to decide what is worth keeping and what is not worth keeping. And so there is this process of sorting out the good from the bad what is useful and what is not useful. And so that's the image, the image of this dragnet. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. In his explanation, he says that it tells us that in this, in this net, as it comes along, when it's full, then God through his angels will sort out the righteous from the wicked. And that also harkens back to the parable of the weeds when, that Carl talked about when the weeds and the wheat are also sorted at the end. And just in that parable, in the parable of the weeds, part of, of that parable was telling us it's not our responsibility to try to figure out wheat from tares at this stage of the kingdom. That's something that's going to come at the end of the kingdom, and that's something that God himself is going to do. And this parable reinforces that, the parable of the dragnet. That as the kingdom comes, it sweeps everything into it. Now part of this is to tell us that when, the, when it catches the good and the bad, it's telling us that th there is nothing that is beyond the reach of the kingdom. As the, as the kingdom is proclaimed and as the kingdom goes out, it draws everything in. It is indiscriminate in its invitation. There's a bit of a play going on here because you have to remember who he's talking to, his audience He's talking to people, both disciples and others, and many of the Jews of that day, and especially the religious leaders, they were very jealous of the kingdom of God. It was their kingdom. And they were very concerned about who could be in and who couldn't be in. And there were lots of people and types of people and sinners who they did not want in their kingdom because they thought that somehow it would diminish their kingdom. Because theirs was the kingdom of God. And so they had this idea that they were the guardians and they were the keepers of this kingdom. And that's part of what Jesus was trying to help people understand, especially his disciples, is that this kingdom didn't sort itself out that way. There were all kinds of people that were brought into this kingdom. Later on in Matthew 21, Jesus would get very specific with them and speak directly to the religious leaders of his day and say to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. No parable here. He's just telling it to them straight. For John came to show you the way of the righteous, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So people were being drawn into the kingdom through Jesus that some people were thinking, well, that person shouldn't be here. That person doesn't belong. That person's a sinner, or that person's this, or that person is that. And the indiscriminate nature of the kingdom was that as that net went out, it drew everything in. 
everything, everything, anyone could be part of that kingdom if they responded to the call of the gospel. Now, the other thing about the parable is it says that when the net was full, when the net was full, they brought it in and they sorted it out. So the other thing that the parable is telling us is that being gathered into the kingdom is one part, but then there's that sorting that goes on. And the sorting is done according to righteous and wicked at the end. God knows who's who in this kingdom. Even though the net gathers everyone in, God knows who's who. God knows who's righteous and God knows who's wicked. So the other part of this is that there is that transforming nature going on in the kingdom. That people are being transformed into the righteous ones that they're called to be in that kingdom. The other aspect of this parable, also with the parable of the weeds that I think is worth noting, you know, because they were trying to, Jesus was trying to understand that the kingdom had come now, or trying to teach them that the kingdom had come now, and this is what the kingdom was doing now in their age. You see, they were expecting an apocalyptic kingdom. They were expecting Messiah to come with his armies to overthrow the Romans and set up the kingdom of, of uh, Judah all over again with himself as king, and there would be a, a conquest. They based that largely on, on the prophecies of the Old Testament. And what Jesus was trying to help them understand is that the kingdom had come, but it was a different kind of kingdom. It looked very different, and it was doing something unexpected in their midst. But as these parables also show us, there is a timeline. There is a timeline. There is a day yet set in the future when the net will be full. There is a day set in the future when... It will be time to sort out the weeds and the wheat. There is a day coming in God's timing, and God knows when it is. None of us do, but God knows when it is. There is a day coming when this time of the kingdom will give way to its finality, when it comes in its fullness, and this time of gathering is finished. Now, that wasn't the emphasis, but Jesus was certainly making a nod to that. But what Jesus was trying to help people understand is that the kingdom in its nature now was a gathering kingdom. It was a gathering kingdom. The thing I want to take the rest of our time with, though, is not talking more about this parable, but looking at how Jesus ended this section after giving these parables. Matthew gives a number of them, Matthew 13. Then Jesus asks them at the end of this parable, after all these parables, he says, have you understood these things? And that's the key question. That's the question that we need to address. Jesus doesn't end by telling the parables. He looks at his disciples and he says, have you understood these things? And the next verse goes on, you know, because they say, oh yeah, yeah, we get it, we understand. And then he says this, he says, he said to them, This is how every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who is able to bring out of his treasury new and old. Now this gets to be a bit tricky, and some of the commentators differ on, on both how to interpret this passage and, and, and what the actual Greek is broken down to mean. But the, what Jesus was saying here was he was saying, If you've understood them, then you're going to be equipped by them. 
You're going to be equipped by them. In some way, you're going to actually be empowered by these parables in a new way in your service as a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the point of understanding. That's the point of of the parables. For those who heard them and understood them, they were actually intended to be empowered by them, to be changed by them, to to be motivated by them. Whereas those who didn't understand them and didn't hear them, they, they simply were frustrated by them or they thought, well, isn't that a nice story about fish or weeds or sheep or whatever? But what Jesus was saying to them is if you've understood them, then use them. Use them. He was introducing the kingdom of heaven to them in a new way. He was giving them new information, new insight about how the kingdom of heaven worked. That it had come, that it was here, that it was working in their midst now. And he expected them to use that knowledge in their calling as his disciples. Let's look back at the parables of uh, chapter 13. And remember that Jesus said to you are given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. We began this year focusing on the kingdom of heaven and saying we want to understand what did Jesus mean. Jesus had a lot to say about the kingdom of heaven. It was his gospel. John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of of heaven. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven. We've talked a lot about that over the last number of months. And we said what did Jesus mean by it? We wanted to look at what Jesus said and we wanted to to ponder it and to think about it and, and, and wrestle with it. Because these are secrets. These are, these are mysteries that Jesus was revealing to his disciples about what God was doing in their day and what God is doing in our day. Look at the parables. And what do you see? What do they tell you about the nature of the kingdom of heaven today? You'd be familiar with them. We didn't actually have a sermon on the parable of the sower, but that's the one where the sower sows the seed and it falls on different kinds of ground. Carl preached on the parable of the weeds a few weeks ago. Um, We had the ice storm, and so we didn't get a chance to hear Donna uh, in giving her message on the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. We hope to get that recorded and get it on our our, uh, website so that you can can listen to that. But essentially, those parables were all about reminding us that the kingdom of God is expansive and pervasive. It's as expansive as a mustard seed growing to become the largest plant there is. That's one of the pictures of that. And the other, the parable of the yeast, is that it's pervasive. And the beautiful thing about those parables are it tells us that the kingdom moves person to person one at a time here there and it has an incredible transforming power when it is welcomed and received last week paul talked about the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl and he reminded us and we looked at that and realized that that whatever price whatever whatever we have to pay that 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 what we're holding on to is not worth exchanging for the kingdom of heaven. That what the kingdom of heaven gives us is worth whatever we have to lay down for it. And today, the parable of the dragnet. 
that the message goes out and sweeps all kinds of people in and ultimately they get sorted out into righteous and unrighteous. So what does this tell us about the kingdom of heaven? What do we learn from these parables by looking at them now? Take a minute to think about that. To just kind of replay them in your mind. Can you see the kingdom of heaven in these things? Can you see the kingdom of heaven working in your world, in your spheres of influence, in, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in, in these ways? You see, we too sometimes as Christians are waiting for a kingdom to come more than working for a kingdom that is here. But like those scribes who have old and new in their, in their pockets to work with, we are meant to work with the kingdom now. Understanding that this is how God is working in our world now. In 1949, John Currier was convicted of murder and he was sentenced to life in prison. He served out his prison sentence at a labor farm in Nashville, Tennessee. And 20 years after he began serving his sentence, some new evidence was pr produced and the court stayed his sentence, decided he had been wrongfully committed. So they wrote a letter and they sent it to the labor farm to tell him that he was now a free man. He never got the letter. Ten years went by before a parole officer caught the mistake and went to the farm and told John that he'd been a free man for the last ten years. What could John have done with those ten years? What could life have been like for him? You see, this is the nature of the kingdom of heaven now. Anyone can become part of it. Anyone can become part of it. And think of the change that can take place in their lives. Think of what they could do with the rest of their lives if they understood what Jesus had done for them and what God was offering them. Think about people you know, people you work with, people you love, people you go to school with. Can we see them in that way? Can we, can we see that that would make such a difference in their life? Would the kingdom of heaven be a pearl of great price to them if they could receive it, if they could hear it? Who knows what a difference it could make? We think of young people today, and um, you know, the stats are that, that um, the majority of new Christians come from those that are under the age of 25. That's the most likely age group to respond to the gospel. And when we think about that, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what, what difference does a life make 
When, when somebody who is in their early 20s or in their late teens makes a profession of faith and, and realizes that they've got life in Jesus Christ and they begin to live in and for the kingdom of heaven. What a different life that can be. Who knows what seeds are planted there? What a person like that can become. What they can do in the world. And the disciples of the kingdom are entrusted with that message of taking it out and, and offering it to people and saying, look, see, this is what God is doing. This is what you can be a part of. What could be if others could receive the kingdom now? Kaufman Kohler in the Jewish Encyclopedia has a statement which I thought was really profound because um, he says this, he says, The kingdom of God, in order to be established on earth, requires recognition by man. That is, man must take on the yoke of the kingdom of God himself. He says that this is why the Jews recite the Shema twice a day. Because what they, what they do by reciting the Shema, Hero is your, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength, and him only shall you serve. And they recite that twice a day because what they want to do is they want to bring themselves under the authority of God. And he says that's what every, every good Jew should do. But it's interesting because he says that, but, but Christians have lost sight of this. Christians have spiritualized the kingdom and made it about something that's coming in the future. George Eldon Ladd, the New Testament scholar, um, says this, the kingdom does not force itself upon us, but where it is willingly received, it brings forth much fruit. Let's hear that again. The kingdom doesn't force itself upon us, but where it is willingly received, it brings forth much fruit. And I think that's what the parables are trying to convey to us. The kingdom doesn't force itself upon us. It's out there. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to all, everyone, indiscriminately. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are or, or what baggage you're carrying. It doesn't matter. The kingdom of heaven is an invitation out there. And to any who will receive it, who any, to any who will come under that, that umbrella and submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, it will be a transforming force in their life and in their world. That's what the kingdom of heaven does. And it can do it now. It is doing it now. It's doing it now in you and me, and it's doing it now in our world. Do we see the kingdom in its fullness? Of course not. Do we see all kinds of, of challenges to this kingdom? Absolutely. We're going to spend the next two months talking about that. But as Jesus says, this is the way the kingdom is working now, and you and I are called as disciples of that kingdom to understand this and work with this reality. That is why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we believe that the kingdom is here, that it's at work we're looking for it. We're, our eyes are open. Our, our ears are open. Holy Spirit, show us where are you working 
as we pray for the kingdom to come to our schools and our universities and our places of work, we watch. We watch for where God is working. And then we go and we join him in that work. And that's the way the kingdom comes now in this age. And you and I are privileged to be a part of that. We're going to shift gears to communion. And I want to take a few minutes to set this up because I think that it's important for us to have a bigger picture view of who we are and what we're called to be and do. I was reading this week in Exodus chapter 19, the Old Covenant. And in Exodus chapter 19, it says this. It says, on the third, uh, In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert at the front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. These are the words of the Old Covenant. The nation of Israel assembled at the foot of Mount Sinai, God on the mountain, speaking to them through Moses. Did you you hear the significance in those words? So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord that he had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. That's the way the covenant was struck. God said, this is who I am. Do you see what I've done? Do you see how I've brought you out of Egypt? Do you see what I've done for you? So now, if you will obey me in everything that I say, you will be my people. You will be a kingdom of priests to the rest of the world which also belongs to me. And the people said, yeah, we're in. We're in, we'll do it. The story goes on then for the mountain to shake and rumble and, and for the, you know, uh, the smoke to come and all of this, these great demonstrations. But I was struck by these very simple and so clear, these words of covenant with God saying, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, and this is what I will do. Will you do your part? And they said, absolutely, we will. We know that they didn't, at least not very well. That's why there's a new covenant. Jesus himself in the gospel said, this blood, this blood, this table... These are the elements of a new covenant, a new relationship between God and his people. 
But listen to how that relationship is described in the book of Hebrews. And I think you'll hear some parallels. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to, be, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's where you and I come when we take this table. That's where you and I are right now in the presence of all those folks, of all that host. And they're looking, and they're watching, and they're with us. He goes on to say, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how, more, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At the time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that, it cannot be shaken, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Oh, we believe in a future kingdom. We believe in apocalypse. We believe that the day will come when the net is full. We believe that the day will come when the sorting takes place. We believe in that. And so we live our lives in this earth sensitively, right? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably acceptably and with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You see, we often don't look at these words. We often don't think of these words in light of what Jesus has done for us at the table. But this is a new covenant. And just as Jesus says, do you see what I've done for you? Do you see what I've done, how I've brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery, how I've given you new life, and I have given and I'm giving you a kingdom that is unshakable? Do you see it? And will you now follow me? Will you now receive me as Lord? Will you now obey me? Will you now listen to me? He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but him who does the will of my Father. It is not enough to simply say, I accept. 
It's to live a life of acceptance. That is the covenant. And that makes us the people of God. That makes us a kingdom of priests into the world which also belongs to him outside of those doors. So when we take the table today, let us do it with reverence and awe and thanksgiving and worship because it's a weighty covenant. It's a weighty responsibility that we bear as the people of God. I'll invite the ushers to come forward and serve communion. Let me just pray for uh, the elements as they do that. Father in heaven, um, you are a mighty God. You are sovereign over all things. You are God and we are your people. And we are grateful for that. Lord, we know that we are called as your people to be a kingdom of priests in this world. That we are to be intercessors. That we are to be people who bring you to the world and you and, and them to you with our lives, with our prayers, with our love. And you send us into the world to do that, Lord. You ask us and tell us over and over again that our lives are not to be invested in this world because you are giving us an unshakable kingdom. May we be exercised by the parables of the kingdom and the secrets of the kingdom. May they penetrate deeply into our hearts and our minds so that we look at our world differently. We look at it the way you look at it. We look at our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members the way that you do as sheep without a shepherd, lost and harassed, who need to be loved and cared for and brought to you. Lord, you made it possible. You are the one who is the great high priest. It is only through your blood that we come. You are the one who opened the door to heaven. And when we take of the bread and the cup today, we are reminded of that, Lord. We are reminded that we are your servants we are your church, that you are Lord and you are Savior. And so we ask and invite the Holy Spirit to bless these elements, the bread and the cup. And as we partake, Lord, help us to do it with thanksgiving in our hearts and a sense of awe that we get to be part of what you're doing in the world today. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.